0: I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to the Catherine Zox Show. Joining me today is Wall Street Journal bestselling author and founder of Non Obvious Company, Rohit Bagarva. His new book is Non Obvious Megatrends: How to See What Others Miss and Predict the Future. What if you could predict the trends that will change your business? For the past 10 years, Rohit Bagarva's signature annual Non-Obvious Trend Report has helped over a million readers discover more than a 100 trends changing our culture. Now, for the first time, Rohit and his team of Non-Obvious Trend curators reveal 10 revolutionary new megatrends that are transforming how we work, play, and live. You don't need to be a futurist or innovator to learn to think like one. The key to growing your business or propelling your career into the next decade lies in better understanding the present. Bhargava is regularly interviewed and featured as an expert commentator in global media, including Harvard Business Review, The Guardian, and NPR. Welcome to the show, Rohit. Nice to have you here. Thank you.
1: Thank you. I'm thrilled to be here.
0: It's great to have you. So we're going to be talking about megatrends. I think first... Perhaps you could define megatrends for us. I mean, what's the difference, uh, you know, between a trend and a fad for, um, uh, you know, I think we need to know exactly what megatrends are. Okay.
1: Yeah, you know, uh, the biggest thing about a megatrend or even a trend in, in my view is that it describes a behavior shift uh, and a lot of times what we talk about as trends uh, are actually what you said, fads, and they're things. Um, so people will say, "Oh, a trend is a social media platform like TikTok, for example." And and those are just things. They're indications of behaviors. And so what I try and focus on is, you know, what's the behavior change? Like, how do how are our beliefs changing? And that's what I try and focus on with a trend.
0: So if we have an understanding of that, and we can do that, and I guess we're not necessarily futurists, but that will help us to transform. What, how we work, how we play, how we live? I mean, it has a huge impact on our lives. And and I guess most of us, I'll speak for myself, think, well, how do I do that? And you have very, obviously in this book, very specific ways of how we can do that. So,
1: I do. And, you know, the big thing is that that I believe that uh, the people who understand people uh, always win. And what I'm trying to to do in this book is encourage uh, everyone to be a little bit more open-minded, to appreciate the things that that maybe aren't in their sphere uh, of what they typically look at. Because I think we live in a world where where it's really easy to to get stuck in our bubble and all the algorithms that serve us up news uh, give us the same story over and over again. And so we end up in this place where we think anyone who doesn't believe what we believe must be stupid. And I think that's really not a great... Place to be. I think that we can choose to uh, incorporate other things, and so really, this method, this this kind of thing that that you mentioned of a way of thinking, to me, the biggest piece of it is is consume other things. Like look outside of the industry that you work in. Uh, Don't just read the same thing over and
0: over. So, in doing that, we have to, as you say, and maybe I'm repeating it, but I think it needs to be repeated over and over. We have to understand the present before we can sort of understand.
1: Yeah, that's right. And I um, and I think that uh, one of the big principles that I talk about is is really being observant. And I think one of the things that, that we find is uh, it's really easy when you're waiting in line, for example, at the grocery store to just sit there on your phone for the entire time that you're in line and not really look up at all. And what ends up happening is we feel like every spare moment that we have where we might be able to just look around and, and see what's going on in the world, we fill it with just checking the phone. And part of the the lesson there, I think, is is to take a moment and uh, and not do that. I mean, there's a famous story of Howard Schultz, the guy who founded Starbucks. And his inspiration for founding Starbucks was being at a conference in Milan, walking down the street, seeing all these coffee shops in Milan in Italy, and thinking, "Why don't we have this in America?" And you know that inspiration happened because he happened to be walking down the street, not looking at his phone. Now, at that time, there wasn't the cell phone distraction, right? But the point is, like we might be walking past. Starbucks.
0: You've been describing specifically how we can stay in the present and how we can, t- uh, I don't know if you started mentioning the haystack method for identifying trends, because I think that's important. That's obviously part of Yeah, I didn't the,
1: yet, yeah. but uh, you know, that's, uh, yeah, that's really an analogy I use for uh, trying to encourage people to be what I call idea collectors. And so I really believe that if we could collect ideas the same way we collect frequent flyer miles, which is as something that we're sort of saving up to cash in later, uh, I think that that enables us to have much better ideas in the future for that moment when we need them. And so what I really try and encourage people to do is is use this method I call the haystack method, and it's based on the uh, cliché of finding a needle in a haystack, because I believe that if we spend enough time gathering stories, gathering ideas, which I think is the hay, then we can take our own needle and stick it in the middle of that and decide what's important. And I think that's much more empowering than saying, oh, let me look for this needle that might or might not be there uh, I think that we can flip the script a little bit.
0: Yeah, I, you were talking about the Starbucks example, and I know there are lots of different kinds of examples. Let's talk about some of the examples and how can, how we can do that with the needle in the haystack. Because you have very in, in your obviously in your book, you have very you store, which I thought stories to illustrate how to do this.
1: Yeah, one of the things that I that I often tell people to do, and it's super simple, doesn't cost a lot of money, doesn't take a lot of time, is anytime you happen to be either traveling or going past a bookstore, uh, pick up a magazine that's not targeted at you. Pick up a magazine you would never pick up because it just has nothing to do with anything that you're interested in. So for me, for example, uh, as a dad of two boys, I would pick up Teen Vogue magazine, which is for 16-year-old girls. Uh, and that just doing that allows me to step into a totally different world. I see celebrities I've never heard of. I see language that I kind of don't understand, that i got to Google to see what some of these words mean. But when I do that, I'm reading something that is totally different, and I'm injecting myself into a different realm of understanding and I think that we all can choose to do that right like there's nobody who doesn't have 10 minutes to flip through a magazine and there's most people don't you know that it's not like you can't afford seven bucks for a magazine Um, but we just don't do that we read the things that we're used to and we stay comfortable in that in that bubble and I think we have to choose to get out of it.
0: Well, I think we read things and do things that sort of validate who, or at least we think who validate what we are. I just I, I think I did that the other day. I, I, start, I, I started instead of watching MSNBC, I started news. I started watching Fox, and that was a, I think that's what you're talking about, or went to a film that I would not ordinarily go to because there are the films that I see and the ones that I don't. So this is the kind of behavior you're talking about, right?
1: Yeah, exactly right. I mean, just, you know, as another quick example, like for the last two years, I've been subscribed to get emails from both political parties. So, you know, I get email messaging uh, on totally opposing sides for the exact same thing. Uh, And I'm seeing what the communication is. And by doing that, I can start to make up my own mind about what I think uh, reality is, as opposed to having it spoon-fed to me.
0: All right, let's talk about some of those specific specific. Trends, a whole list of um, trends that you have, what are the ten of them?
1: yes, there are, yeah, yeah, so you know one of them that i that I think has been really interesting and popular is a trend I called amplified identity, and really, what this focus on is on is the idea that more of ourselves are going into the digital realm and because of that, we're finding that we're putting parts of our personality into different places. So your Facebook self might be different than your Instagram self, might be different than your Twitter self. And now you've got all of these curated identities for yourself, and, and you're putting them out there. And, and on a human level, like we all seek validation. We all want connection. Like these are human elements right, that we all want. And now we have these digital tools with the the dopamine attached to them to say, oh, we got these instant likes and we have this gratification. And on one level, it's great because we can feel connected and be connected to people who don't live close to where we live. Um, But on the flip side, uh, it can start to disconnect us from the people who are close to us because we choose to have those interactions instead. And so none of these trends, what I find when I do all this research and when I do all these interviews, none of these trends are inherently good or bad. Uh, what it does, though, is by being aware of it, you can start to find your own balance to say, look, I can be over here, I can be online, but I can also find balance to be human in the real world.
0: One of the things you say and you repeat in the book, and I've seen you uh, lecture as well, but you say, um, Isaac Asimov, I think, said this, actually, but and you're quoting him, I'm not a speed reader, I'm a speed understander.
1: Yes, um, and I think that's so important because it's really tempting to try and consume everything, right? And we have more tools, we have apps that allow us to do it, right? We have entire apps that, that say, hey, read one word at a time and you'll be, be a speed reader. And the problem with doing that, the problem with trying to be a speed reader is the same as if you were really hungry and then you went to one of those hot dog eating competitions and you just ate like 40 hot dogs in a minute, right? Like you probably wouldn't be hungry afterwards, but you wouldn't feel good either. Um, and, And I think that's sometimes what we do to ourselves. Like we just see all of this stuff and we say, well, I just need to consume faster. And to me, what Isaac Asimov was really saying is become good at figuring out what is important and what isn't. And curate your time uh, because that's the most valuable thing you've got. That's the most valuable asset you've got, right? And being a speed understander to me really says you know, be intentional about what you consume. Like, don't just sit there brainlessly uh, paying attention to whatever somebody else tells you to pay attention to.
0: You, you've talked about curating, uh, you, you need to curate the noise out. What does that mean?
1: Yeah, and I use that word pretty intentionally because, you know, I know most people when they hear the word curate or curator, they think of a museum, right, because that's where curators work. And it's based on that because what does a museum do, right? A curator, a good curator at a museum says, okay, I have 500 paintings, but I'm not going to take all 500 and stick them up on the wall and say, here you go, here's everything we have. No, I'm going to take the best 30 that tell a story and I'm going to create an exhibit. And I'm going to say in this exhibit, this is the theme, and here are the 30 paintings that bring that to life. And now when you go there and you see that exhibit, you're like, oh, this has meaning, right? Because they've not just decided what to show you, they've also decided what not to show you. And I think that's really what curation does. It allows you to figure out what to pay attention to and, more importantly, what not to pay attention to.
0: And oh, as you've already said, but I think we, I would like to reiterate, it's so difficult to do that in our culture, in this whole digital world. It really take—it takes discipline. Does it take a lot of discipline to be able to do that on a day-by-day basis?
1: You know, it does take a lot of discipline, but it's also a skill that can be practiced, right? And if you think about it, I mean, imagine that yeah, you're at a, at a restaurant and it's one of those kind of uh, make-your-own-pizza restaurants, Right. Uh, you could easily go there and just say, okay, I just want cheese on my pizza and that's it. Uh, Or you could go there and say, well, okay, there's all of these different things and I can put together the pieces of what I want on my pizza to make it great. Or you could just say, give me everything on the pizza, which would be kind of crazy and probably not all that good depending on how many ingredients there were, right? So I think we've got to treat our media diet the way we treat our food diet and say, what am I choosing to consume and do I have enough variety, right? You wouldn't just sit there eating only bread and nothing else uh, because you know that's not a healthy choice, uh, but we do that with media, and I think we need to rethink that
0: We need to rethink that we need to do it, and we need to practice it, obviously, right? Curate and right and then we be, yeah, and then we'll be able to predict predict right? you know I think I always thought that uh, President Obama was good at that, keep out the noise, know how to curate that that was one of his skills or one that I. Observed. I don't know if that's exactly what you're talking about, but it, it seemed to, to me that he sort of lived that. Um, so you know, I think that he, you know, yeah, he did.
1: Uh, he certainly seemed to do that. I think that you know, President Trump probably does that too. The difference between them, uh, in my opinion, is my sense was Obama did that himself, whereas Trump relies on others to do it for him.
0: And, okay, so if you have other people to do it for you, then that's okay, If we do, otherwise you have to learn how to do it yourself?
1: Well, um, you know, <laughs> debatable whether it's okay or not, right? Because, you know, when you have others doing it for you, you know, how much bias do the others have is the question, right? Because when you're, and, and this is a danger, right? If you let other people make up your mind for you, then you're not actually thinking for yourself. I mean, that's just, you know, that's logical, right? And so the only way to think for yourself, the only way to make up your own mind is to actually think for yourself. And, you know, it becomes dangerous when you don't because you're just basing your opinions on what you see
0: what from you one source. Yeah, go ahead.
1: Yeah, I was just saying well, you base them on what you see from one source, and that's not enough.
0: Now your overall picture I mean we like in terms of all the the, the trends that we've had over the what you've been doing the business for the past 10 years. Yes. Yeah. So what do you just personally what has had the biggest impact on you your business what you've decided to do and you know and and the choices that you've made?
1: You know, one of, the, one of the trends specifically that's had a huge impact on my business is something that I called um, instant knowledge. And really what that's about is this expectation that most of us have now that we can learn or understand anything quickly. Uh, that we don't need to spend a huge amount of time figuring out anything because all the information is at our fingertips, right? And we feel empowered because of that. We have all these videos that we can watch to do anything, right? We can watch a video to fix a leaky um, uh, faucet. You know, we can can do all of these different things. And so with everything at our fingertips, our expectation is, well, I'll just go and figure something out. Um, And that's been hugely beneficial, I think, for my business because, you know, I'm in the, in the business of, of uh, inspiring and trying to educate people, right? I teach a class at Georgetown. I do keynote speeches all over the world. I write books, you know, like that's my space. Um, and so when people expect to figure stuff out themselves, the creators of information become more valuable.
0: Do you have many people or do you have, I mean, you speak all over the world and, and, and you know, write for prestigious uh, journals and all of those kinds of things. What, Is some of the feedback that you get, because I always like to, like, is there negative feedback? I mean, I, I, you know, I went online. You talk about having all the information available, and I'm looking at you, and I mean, all I see is praises for your work. I mean, it's really exciting stuff that you're doing. What about the people who are kind of naysayers? That's not possible.
1: Yeah, there's. Well, there's definitely critics. There's there's people who you know, and, and I think a, a a good way for me to do that is is uh, is I look at, um, particularly when it comes to books, like people are very critical um, of books uh, as well, and so the feedback that I hear, the criticism I hear, um, sometimes is uh, that wasn't really non obvious, like that was totally obvious, uh, and. You know, that's to be expected, I think, because I write a book called Non-Obvious. Like, that's a pretty big promise, right? What I'm saying on the cover is, I'm going to tell you something new that you haven't heard before. And if you happen to read it and think, oh, I heard that before already, you're going to say, well, you didn't deliver on what you promised me, right? (laughs) So, you know, sometimes I will get that. And, And the thing is, as an author, like, what you eventually figure out is the thing that someone is really angry and complaining about is the exact same thing that someone else really loved. And when that's, you start to see that emerge, you're like, well, you know, now I have perspective because it, it is, I mean, it's a cliche, but you really can't please everybody.
0: It's true. That's true. You, you, you can't. I'm, yeah. So, okay. Let's, I want to get back to also some of these non-obvious you're talking about the non-obvious. I love these non-obvious, uh, mega trends. Uh, talk to us about a couple others. Cause, uh, Pick out one of the others at the, at the ten,
1: sure, yeah, so um, yeah. another one uh, is something I called revivalism, um, and that was just you know in, in this world where we are just not sure what to trust, and we feel like uh, there 's a lot of fake out there, fake news, fake stories, fake people. Uh, we turn the clock backwards. We go back to the things that we remember from the past. And so we start playing board games again. We start playing classic video games. We listen to music on vinyl. You know, Kodak's bringing back film. Like, all of these are examples of, of what I call revivalism as a trend. And um, and I think it's a natural response for people to just say, look, I need to go back to something that felt trustworthy.
0: Interesting. That, I, I see that too. I, so what, what is the, what do you think the, what, is the impact of that, I mean, go, is, is it well, going a couple. backwards I mean, or it's in a know, different context now? Yeah.
1: Well, I think people, um, I mean, it's, an, it's perhaps an appreciation for the retro. Uh, and so, you know, people are going back to analog in some cases, right? They're putting the phone away and they're saying, look, I want this experience that's more human. I want to actually reconnect with people and with the things that I used to do. Uh, in the past and with a simpler world. Uh, and I think that that is kind of happening on a generational level too. Like you're seeing children even, like, you know, and, and kids going back to some of these things that are, it's so funny because some of these things are from a time that they don't even remember in their life, right? Like it never was like that. Uh, but now they're going back because they've seen some of those things and they're saying, look, I want to go back to that.
0: I think one of the books, one of the things in your book i thought that was interesting there's a, a manufacturer of iphones that who has an iphone now it kind of goes back a little bit in terms of like people don't want to be always distracted with their iphone so that, that the iphones that they manufacture don't have wi-fi for instance just very simple
1: yeah they're um they they call them uh dumb phones for example uh, they're not <laughs> iPhones. Actually. it's not a they're, good name you know, but a well maybe yeah. it is well, they don't call them dumb; they call them feature phones. But you know, everybody else calls them dumb phones because you know what they do is they allow you to make phone calls and send text messages, and that's it. No uh, games, no apps. And you know, the other thing about a so-called feature phone slash dumb phone uh, is because it doesn't have any of those things, the battery lasts for six days. And you know, we forget what that was like, right? But back in the day, when you got a phone, like you'd charge it once, and it would the charge would last almost all week. And that's like unthinkable today, right? I mean, your charge basically barely lasts for a day.
0: That's true. Those would be maybe perhaps good phones to start kids off with so that they don't have access to all of the other stuff. You just have a, a dumb phone. If you, that's what you call it, a dumb phone, right? Yeah. Um, interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I
1: mean, some people, some people do think that. As a parent, um, I don't. Um, I don't buy that. I actually prefer, with my kids in particular, like I want them to have the full phone and I want them to figure <laughs> out how to create balance in their own lives so that that phone doesn't consume them. And so instead of saying to them, okay, your phone time's over, or you only have an hour-long screen time, what I say to my kids is, do you feel like you're spending too much time sitting there scrolling stuff? Like, you should figure out for yourself whether you're spending too, you're wasting too much time in your life just doing that, right? And, and they're starting to figure that out because that's a skill that nobody teaches us, but we definitely need.
0: Yeah. That's, that's a great parenting skill. How old are your kids?
1: Uh, Fifteen
0: and twelve. Fifteen and twelve. So they should be. You want them to be able to do that exactly. And I think as parents, and it's very difficult in this day and age and all the digital stuff to be, as you say, telling them what to do rather than having them experience and learn how to make their own good choices. Important. Um, we have three minutes left. There's so much to you know read in your book and there's so much about you and so much about you online. So give us because um, we've just covered a few things. Uh, Websites that we can go to uh, to uh, get information about this book, but also about all the other books you've written and places that you're lecturing um, and uh, whatever else you're doing.
1: Sure, yeah. So if you want to download actually a free excerpt with a couple of trends um, from this book, you can just go to nonobvious.com. Super simple, no dashes or anything, just the word nonobvious as a single word, .com. Uh, and if you wanted to watch some videos of me kind of sharing some of these things and get a bunch of other content and things like that, you can go to my uh, personal site, which is just my full name, rohitbargava.com. I know it's not the easiest to spell, but if you go to non-obvious, you can see how to spell it. And then you can put my full name, <laughs> rohitbargava.com, uh, into there, and you will find all of those videos and everything else.
0: Well, I can spell it for everybody. It's R O H I T, and last name is actually the. Uh, it's the way it sounds. B is in boy. H A R G A V A. So uh, I guess uh, listeners have all the information. Great talking to you today. It's all. It's exciting. Very exciting stuff.
1: Thank you, and thanks for the great questions. I really enjoyed okay. it.
0: Thanks. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to the Catherine Zox Show.